Hey team, it's Matt Drinkon here. And you might have heard, my brand new book releases on Amazon on March 8th. It's been a labor of love that I think can really help you navigate some of the challenges you're experiencing in your own life. I go over toxic positivity and how to think you're in it for everyone else. In reality, you're in it for yourself. And I express that through this entire book and help learn from our own mistakes and how to turn the lens on ourselves and ask good questions. So go to Amazon on March 8th and you can get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. That's it for me. Let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Eternal Optimist podcast. My name is Matt Drenkon and I am an eternal optimist. One who sees the positive in everything that happens and all the hard stuff that goes on figures out a way to learn from it. Let it be a guide and a teacher. This is the show to help you enhance your resilience, to help you get inspired, to help you see practically how people work on the biggest challenges of their lives and make progress and get through it and come out the other side stronger and better for it. This is the Eternal Optimist Podcast. Welcome, my friends. This is a dose of something that we can all use. Energy, positivity, stories of resilience and grit. It's all coming at you today, my friends. Before we get started, I want to encourage you, you can connect with me on social media, Instagram or Facebook at Eternal Optimist Podcast account. Please rate and review the show. And as you do that, you can also follow me live at 7 a.m. Eastern time on Monday through Friday, where I do a live stream and share with you some of the thoughts of the day and how eternal optimism is taking hold here in this world. Today's episode, today's episode is all about how to be an eternal optimist in the face of incredibly frustrating and challenging betrayals and pain and this is important because this story is going to resonate with a number of people out there who are in the professional corporate world my guest today is mr eric sardina and eric he's phenomenal first of all he's an ultra marathoner which means he intentionally and by his own design likes to get up and go and run 50 miles at a time plus (laughs) He's an expert sales professional on the enterprise level, having sold accounts for some of the biggest companies in the entire world. And he's got a pretty great sense of humor. So he has corporate scars, like many high performers who are forced out due to living to sound principles, living to the ideals. Well, this path led him to where he is right now, and he's impacting the lives of leaders all around the country and the world. In this conversation, we pierce the corporate veil And we hear an in-depth story of how his skillful hard work to get the deal led him to a sense of betrayal and pain as his once good allies turned their backs on him when he needed it most. And he owns his part in this entire process. Friends, have you ever felt betrayed or let down at work and then realized that the longer you stuck to the principles, the more you alienated your teammates? Eric. On one hand, we feel for him. We want him to win because it's just and it's right. And he did everything the way that he was asked to and the way he's supposed to. And then when the corporate powers that be say, no, we're not gonna keep our dream with you. We start to find like, we've heard enough from Eric. Move on already and take whatever you're given. It's interesting how when something unjust happens, if the person it's done to happens to continue barking about it, everyone else eventually becomes mute and immune to that speaking. This happens in corporate America all the time, and it causes so much negative vibration. 
This story is one of the biggest reasons big business gets a bad name. I thank Eric for going deep here. It's a story worth telling and hearing, and the learning he has experienced along the way is what makes Eric an eternal optimist. This discussion shows hope and that one can find true happiness and peace when they just keep going. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Mr. Eric Sardina. Hello, and welcome to the Eternal Optimist Podcast, the show for optimists by optimists. This is the show for people who see the good in the world and want to make a positive difference in the lives of their families and communities. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories that will get you thinking bigger and playing more offense in life. With your host and high-performance coach, Matt Drinkon. And with that introduction, I welcome to the show someone I would already call a good friend because we've been having a good conversation. This has been really easy to talk to you, Eric. I've been on your show. It's the Return to Authenticity podcast, if I recall. Yeah, awesome. I had a good time. And we've been chatting for a while now. I've enjoyed you and getting to know you. And uh, welcome to the Eternal Optimist podcast, Eric. How are you, friend? Matt, it's so great to be here, man. I'm doing fantastic. And I'm just thrilled to be on your show, brother. I appreciate it. It's humbling and an honor to be here. So thank you. I'm looking forward to our talk. Awesome. Well, I'd ask you this, when you say you're doing fantastic, what goes into the making of a day or just the place you are in life right now that causes you to say that you're doing fantastic right now? It's a great question. I have not been asked that one before. And it's interesting that you ask it in this particular week. My normal day starts with a workout. I get up at 5 a.m. and usually by 5.30, I'm either running or I'm doing a strength workout of some kind. So I'm an early morning workout guy. I like to get that hour and a half in to start the day. And why it's a little funny is I'm in Texas and we've had an ice storm all week and I'm an outdoor workout guy and I don't really working out in the gym. So the ice storm's kind of thrown a whole wrench into that. Wow. Normal plan for me this week. Yeah. So what I've been doing is I just pivoted off of that and I, I could freak out and be mad, which is would be normally the course if I don't get a run in when I want to run, or I could do something that I normally wouldn't do. And so I still got up early and instead of going for a run, I did a little prayer time, a little Bible reflection, a little journaling, and I just chilled out, man, took advantage of that extra hour because I know it's Texas. Winter's going to end in about 12 minutes and then we're right back to warm and dry and take advantage of the ice while it's here. So I've just been chilling out this week. It's been different and, and actually pretty nice. Not minding it. That definitely makes me feel good. The fact that I'm around my wife and we get to spend time together. I always look forward when I'm in town, having dinner with my wife, simple things, sitting on the couch, enjoying a program. We just recently got back to watching the old television program, Magnum P.I. Oh, yes. The mustache. Nice. Magnum P.I. Original Magnum P.I. And the reason for that is, I don't know if you follow or know Jack Carr, the writer. I'm a big fan of Jack Carr's books and I follow his social media. He wrote the Terminal List series, which just got picked up and was made into a Chris Pratt miniseries on Amazon. And so I follow Jack and he's always talking about TV shows or things that inspired him when he was becoming a writer. And Magnum P.I. was one of those shows. And I remember it when I was a kid and I hadn't watched it in forever. And I thought, he keeps talking about Magnum P.I. I'm going to go find it. So my wife found it and you can actually get the whole series. Went back to episode one, season one, and we're watching Magnum together now. So it's cool. One thing I want to appreciate about you right now is that this whole talk of getting up early in the morning, you're an early riser, you work out, so you stay healthy and fit. You didn't complain about the ice storm. So I love that about you. I, some people would be complaining. No judgment towards those people, I might add. Still, you took it and played offense. So love that. I have watched Terminal List with Chris Pratt. So enjoyed that. 
that. Good frame to start. Fantastic. I ask you that question. You say it's fantastic today. So many times people start off a conversation or what is a fake conversation with, hey, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. And so when I hear someone give a genuine, what I would call like a superb response, I'm curious why that. So thanks for sharing fantastic today, what that looks like. That's great. Absolutely, man. So much to be thankful for. I could not agree more. I was just talking yesterday on a show about things we're grateful for. And I'm incredibly grateful that I have the chance to walk. And I say that seriously, because there was a time when I could not walk seven years ago. Coming up on the seven-year anniversary of the spinal surgery, it was this time seven years ago that I could not run anymore, couldn't golf anymore. I was having trouble standing. Fast forward about three months from now, I literally could not walk and was in a wheelchair for a short period of time and had this very large back brace on. And I share this with the audience. They've heard me say it before. I share it just because I love it when I have a guest on that truly is grateful. And just everything about you from our conversations, you are one of those people. And I'm glad to have you here, Eric, because of who you are. And I know you're going to play all in on our first question, which might be the most challenging question for many people. And uh, I'll give you a moment to think about and start to share a challenge. We'll just paint the picture here. I'd love to hear you share whatever it might be for you. It could be back to childhood. It could be a big challenge right now. But I'd love to share with the audience what's something that has been very challenging, very difficult for you. I'd love to just start with a challenge, please. I appreciate that question. I'll give that a thought just for a moment. And I'll make one comment on what you said about the medical issue you had. And that is we often can get wrapped up in the minutia of the day and things that are irritants and things that bother us and things we're stressed about or things we want to achieve that we haven't achieved. And there's typically no shortage of things to be worried about. I know before we knew what COVID was, we didn't know to worry about it. And then when it did come about, it became this all-encompassing worry. And the things that we were worried about seemed to get pushed aside or forgotten as we now focused on the new worry of COVID. And now that's sort of ebbing off or at least seemingly to be very different than it was a couple of years ago. I'm sure people don't feel like, oh, I now I have nothing to worry about. They've just replaced those worries with new worries. So there's always something that you can focus on and be worried about. I once heard it said that if you listed off the top five things that you were worried about or stressed out about, you had five things. And one of those things was your health. You wouldn't worry about the other four. Because if you have your health, that's like the thing, right? And even if you know, you're in that moment when you're in the wheelchair or whatever, you're alive, you're breathing, you're drawing air, you have the ability to influence people in a positive way. But certainly finding things to be grateful for when you can start off with that number one thing and say, man, I'm happy to be healthy. I can get up and move. I can go for a walk. I can see my kids. My kids are healthy. We're not all sitting in a hospital room right now. We're not hooked up to machines. That's like thing one. And when you have that, man, everything else is really like icing on the cake, right? Finding that thing to be grateful for and recognizing that is we can choose to see the negatives. They're always going to be there, man. And you can choose to see the positives. And there's so many things to be thankful for. Just a quick comment there. So just for you, I can't remember if you do a video release of this or if it's just audio, but we will. You will do video? Mm-hmm. Okay. So people can see I got a little gray in the beard. I'm 54. I'll be 55 here in a few months. You're old guy. And so I did 30 years of a corporate career leading up to eventually leaving the corporate world about a year and a half ago to start my own coaching and consulting business and some other things that I do. And that 30-year corporate career, there were many challenges along the way. And a theme that I would say that came up over and over for me over my corporate career was disappointment. I spent most of my career in sales and marketing, and I prided myself on working very hard and achieving at a high level. I just always prided myself on a work ethic, right? The ability to work hard and to work with integrity and honesty and do it the right way to achieve at a high level. And it was something that I really owned. That's me. And if I look at my corporate career, it was full of successes that would ultimately end in some level of a disappointment. 
So a sale that I felt like I had earned that I ultimately, for whatever reason, wouldn't get credit for, wouldn't get paid for. And when those things would happen, I felt such a level of betrayal and almost naive shock that this would happen, that it would change my entire focus and my willingness to keep working hard and keep doing the things that I said, hey, this is what I'm bringing to the game. But if the game's going to be played this way, I don't want to play. And so ultimately what would happen is I would typically leave and go somewhere else, go to a different employer. And then that theme would repeat. As I got later in my career and I thought, man, this keeps happening. What's the common denominator here? I had to be honest with myself and say the common denominator was me. Why do I keep allowing this to happen? What's going on with me? This happened most recently for me right before I left my last corporate job and started my own thing. And I was in such a difficult place just emotionally. And I felt like that same betrayal had happened again. And that same disappointment had happened again. And I thought, man, I've been doing this enough. I have to see the commonality as me. I need to do some work on me and figure out what's going on here. So for the first time in my life, I hired my own coach. I'd had coaches given to me and provided for me by my employers over the years as incentives or as rewards. But this was the first time I spent my own money, my own time on a coach. And the whole goal was, let me figure out me. What's important to me? What are my values? What am I doing? Should I even be in the job that I'm in or do the things that I'm doing? Or is there something else? I'd never really taken that time to, to dig into me. I did that and spent a couple of years working with a coach. And I came to this conclusion that my place on this planet was really more to, to pour into others, to offer the experience the lessons that I learned over the years and give to others that the most important things to me, my best days were when I was investing in humans, when I was around people. And it really wasn't about money, wasn't about accolades or titles or power, things like that. Even though I often strive for those exact things, I would strive for them. I would reach them. I wouldn't really necessarily feel satisfaction in them or any sort of real accomplishment. I would just move on to the next thing. And so it left me feeling a bit empty. And then if something, again, some betrayal would happen, and I'll call it a betrayal, something that I thought was just wasn't right, just wasn't fair. It would just be so harmful. And I thought, man, what's going on here that I feel this way and others don't seem to be feeling this. And I thought there's this human connection for me that I love the human interaction, the human dynamic. I love feeling like I'm investing in others, pouring into others. And I like it when I feel that coming back to me. And so when I would feel those betrayals, it was so opposite of what I really found valuable. It led me to this isn't the place for me, right? I need to be out and really spending my time with other people and really feeling like I'm making a difference in other people's lives. Yeah, that was a challenge. I would say a recurring challenge. It took a lot to get over. Man, there were some tough years in there dealing with that recurring theme. I can relate to this. I don't want to let you or me off the hook and say that it was all us or it was all corporate America. Your story you're telling is one that I've seen over and over again. And I live that story too. I can share that I've felt that betrayal and or disappointment in a number of different circumstances that I had to assess like you did and see what's the common denominator. Is it me? Can't just be me. So there was some that we have to own in it ourselves. And I believe that there's also some things in corporate America that we're working against the noble or the pure of heart or the idealist. Having shared that, with as much detail as you're able to share, what might be one of those instances to paint a broader picture or a more specific picture, pardon me, for the audience who may not totally understand what we're saying? What's a specific example if you could share? So one that really comes to mind is I was working for a, one of the largest consulting organizations in the world. And when I was in that role, the specific group that I was a part of, 
I was hired in as a sales and business development person. The group that I was assigned to was so busy with just fulfilling the work that needed to be done. They really were almost surprised that the company had hired a salesperson for their group because they were like, man, we don't need any more sales. We can't staff the jobs that we have as it is in this particular group. We're covered up. But if can you do work? Can you actually do the consulting work and not sell, but actually do work? I was like, no, that's not what I do. I'm a sales guy. I've been hired to find new business. And they're like, we're not interested, right? It's not going to be helpful. And it's a very, very big company. And I thought, man, this is not the welcome that I was looking to get when I arrived on my first few days of work, right? So this group is super slam busy. And yet I had some aggressive sales goals that I had to meet in terms of revenue I needed to generate. And so I started to look around the firm. Where else can I add value? Where else can I spend my time? And I asked the sales organization, is it all right if I go over to this part of the firm, a different area outside of the one that I was deployed to? And they said, sure. There's really no definition around the type of revenue that you sell or the area that you're supporting. As long as you bring revenue into the firm, Mm -hmm. help us find that, secure that, you're good to go. You'll get paid. The firm will be happy. You'll be rewarded. It's all good. And so off I went and I was like, great. So I started to just network, navigate, talk to partners that in different areas of the firm that needed, that might need assistance. So I was going across different functional areas. So I was deployed within an audit and tax firm and I was deployed within one of their audit verticals or functional areas. And so I went over and started talking to the guys and tax and the guys in consulting and the ladies in consulting and, and then some of their industry areas like their energy sector and their healthcare sector. And certainly I would find partners that were super excited to have a helper, someone that you're going to actually try to go find business for me and which in those firms, partners have to generate revenue, right? Some are really good at it and some are not that good at it. Some were raised as tacticians and they're really good technical experts and they love to run projects and they're very smart, but they don't really like business development or sales. Others are better at those things. And I would find the ones that needed the help. I found a few and in the particular areas where I would find them, they were like, man, we would love to have your assistance, right? So I got on a particular team that was focused on calling on one of the largest energy companies on the planet where we had zero traction, not a single dollar sold. In fact, years earlier, we had sold a project that didn't go well. And so we actually owed that client money for that. We had owed that there was a credit sitting out there because the project had gone badly and we agreed that we would pay that client some money back. And that credit was just sitting there. Not only was there no revenue, we actually owed the client money in this particular example. So we had a huge hill to climb and a very complex, large, call it a top two energy company on the planet that we were calling on. So it's like calling on the government, navigating this company was very challenging, just figuring out who's who, where people are, where the opportunities are, overcoming this perception that we had done bad work for them in the past. It was going to be a very long sales cycle. And I knew that. And so I started pursuing that and then pursuing some other projects, other things that I could try to sell more quickly and just trying to do things that salespeople do to make their goals, right? Make their numbers. I had some couple of reasonably decent first years with the firm, made some money, made my numbers while I continued to do the long work with this pursuing this energy company. I would communicate that with the group that I was part of, that I was originally assigned to, like, hey, this is where I'm spending my time. And they were really so distracted with doing the work, they didn't care. They didn't really care what I was doing. If you're a sales guy, we don't even know why you're hired here in our group. So do whatever you want. I don't care. That pursuit of that large energy company started to get some traction. And as things will happen, when you start to get traction, attention starts to come, right? And then people want to get involved. And so the group that I was with, while they were certainly really busy and they started to see, hey, we have some of that work. Is there work for us within that energy company. Wait, wait, this is the same group that said to you that uh, we're full. We don't need more work. We need help staffing the consulting. We don't need more. Right. It was such a prominent company and it started to become this thing that was moving and they wanted to know, hey, if you're spending time 
time on that account that you're trying to get traction with. And we still hadn't sold a single thing yet, but we were starting to get a lot of attention because we were getting some very high level meetings. I was meeting with the controller along with, I would take, go with their, with take partners with me on these meetings, as you would always do. It's always a team sell in those big companies like that in the consulting world. And we would meet with the controller of Fortune 2, Fortune 3 company. And that person's reporting to the CFO, is reporting to the CEO. So you're literally three levels from the top of the largest organization in the world in many respects. And so those meetings were getting a lot of attention. And so they wanted to know, hey, well, are you positioning us too? And some of that work that was keeping them very busy was starting to ebb off. They were starting to end because a couple of years into my time with the firm at this point. So I was like, sure, absolutely. We're trying to position work there, trying to position work there. And again, I was agnostic to say it bluntly. I didn't care where the revenue was going to come from. If we were going to sell tax work or consulting work or audit work, it didn't matter to me. And I was told it didn't matter really to the firm. I just needed to make a big number. And so I was more than happy to sell whatever the client was interested in and needed help with that type of work, mm-hmm. right? Didn't matter. We can fast forward about at about the three-year mark of pursuing this company. Now, again, can't tell you how many plane flights to their corporate headquarters halfway across the country, meetings dinners, find we'd made traction with one person that then would move out of that department into another department. And all of a sudden that would go cold. You'd have to start over. It was an exhausting, massive pursuit. And then we sold a small project, which is typical when you would sell something. You wouldn't sell normally a giant project out of the gate. They want to test the water. And so sold a small project. We were excited, but we knew what was even more exciting was a If this project went well, there was a massive project behind it. Literally a $17 million project would follow behind this $50,000 initial engagement. And I was able to do math. Like most salespeople, I can pull my calculator out and do math on what that meant to me. And it was going to mean a several hundred thousand dollar massive commission. Yes. I was excited. Three years of hard work, three years of toiling and flying on airplanes and meetings. We're going to pay off. And everyone was excited. The team that was going to deliver the work was excited. It was going to be years of work. The partner was excited. They were making huge numbers. It was one of the largest engagements the firm had ever signed or would be if we delivered on that $50,000 project. And everybody was high-fiving. Everybody was excited. And sure enough, that delivery went well and the client rolled right into the next project. And here we went. And I was so excited to have this feather. Unfortunately, it didn't involve any work for the group that I had been deployed to. And it was all in a another functional area within the firm, the tax area. And so it was a massive tax project. And that didn't make the group that I was in happy in that moment. They were upset that this massive project had gone to another functional area. And there can be some rivalries that pop up amongst the big firms, one area versus another area. And certainly, so they weren't thrilled, the group I was in, that this project was all function, was all focused in the tax part of the firm. I didn't really realize at the time, but that it caused some very bad feelings to happen. Like Sardine has been working on this thing for three years and it finally happens and there's not a dollar in it for our area. That sucks. Who kind of approved that? Who allowed that to happen? But that didn't really bother me too much at that time because I thought I've been given all the proper clearances to do this. I was completely above board and out front with what I was pursuing. And I was just excited that we finally knocked it down and everybody on the team was also excited. So I felt part of that team and I felt this was great until it came time to get paid. And the size of that commission check was large. In fact, it was going to mean that I would make more money in that year than young partners made. And I wasn't a partner. And I would never be a partner as a salesperson within a firm that was not a track that you could achieve a partner level. And that was a feather that was the big firms. That's a feather that's held out there, right? Everyone wants is striving to reach partner in most regards. And so how would it be for a salesperson to make more than, than a partner, a young partner? That's not good optics there. It doesn't look good. And so there was some 
real scrutiny on all of a sudden, like, hey, wait, this is ridiculous. We can't pay this amount of money, right? And I said, there's really not a question of whether you can. It's in my contract. It's black and white. This is my, this is how I'm paid. It's not like a decision. There's no one that needs to make a decision. It just let the mechanics play out. But it wasn't that. It became this, we need to understand. We need to know why and how much, and that can't be. And did you really do all the things you said you did? So then the scrutiny became all about, did I do enough to earn this commission? And I was super confident that if you want to put that test to it, great, because I have no question that I have done everything that's been asked of me to earn the commission, right? I can show all the meetings. I can show everything I did in the meetings. I can show every bit of involvement. It's a no-brainer. And it just came down to, we don't care. Like, we're going to rewrite the rules here because this is too much money. We're not going to pay you this much money. Today's sponsor for the Eternal Optimist podcast is Curiosity. One of the core values of Eternal Optimist is curiosity. We frame things in a positive light and we learn how to be curious to the possibilities in the challenging moments. Are you frustrated? How might you learn from that frustration and convert that energy into your advantage? Are you feeling hopeless? How might you learn to live a life filled with inner peace, thus connecting that hopeless feeling and converting it into your comeback story? How might you be curious to the possibilities of the moment that are present all around you? Curiosity, my friends, is one of the most important elements to being an eternal optimist. How might you use curiosity as your guide so you can live the life of your dreams right now? Look through a curious lens and everything, everything around you and learn how its power can help you in your journey. Now, back to the show. I'm on the edge of my seat here. I love what you're sharing because it's a compelling story. I'm also physically feeling a little bit like ill because this story is hitting close to home for me personally. And I can only imagine where we're going. I'm very, please keep going, but I'm feeling you right now. So please keep going. <laughs> my mindset was I'm, I'll fight to the end because I know what I did was fair, right, and just everything that I did was my job as I was hired to do and I am owed this money. And so I will, I'll fight right to the end. Like I'll have any discussion with anybody in the firm. I'm happy to show exactly what I did and have any conversation because I knew in my mind, I was in the right. This is not mm. fair that I wouldn't get paid. And I'm happy to talk to anybody about it. And I didn't really see that I was doing a lot of damage to my time in the firm by doing that because people didn't want to have this uncomfortable conversation. They didn't want to pay the money. They didn't need a reason why. And they didn't really like that I was saying, who do I need to talk to next? And what I found too was my own sales organization started to be uncomfortable with the fact that I was saying, I'll talk to the chairman of the firm if you want and tell them exactly what I did because I'm owed this money and I've earned it and I've fought three years for it. And we may never have gotten here. Like this was a chance I was going to go on a three-year journey and get nothing. So there was more and more uncomfortable meetings, more and more uncomfortable discussions. The team that I had sold it within this tax function, they didn't want to have to pay this commission. They're like, who is this guy? Even everybody forgot that I was part of the team from the get-go. And at the end of the day, I didn't get paid the money, right? And my own, uh, I was going on that path. My own sales leadership was like, man, you're drawing a lot of scrutiny and a lot of heat to the sales team that we don't really want. You just need to suck it up, take less and get on down the road. Like there'll be other deals. And I thought, no, that's not fair and it's not right. I just hung myself on that ideal that it's not fair and it's not right. And I didn't really step back to go, I'm really doing myself a disservice in my tenure with this company. That's where my head was. I was just caught up in this idea that 
it's just not fair. Hmm. And I wouldn't let that go. Ultimately, I didn't get paid the commission. The team that I was deployed within, they were like, we're done with this guy. We don't really want him. We, You can move. Someone else can take him. And I started to then reach. I started to find all of a sudden I was this man without a home. So the group that I was with that initially deployed to, they were like, we don't want this guy. We don't need him. The group that I had that really owed me the money, the tax group, they were like, we don't want this guy. We just had this big knockdown drag out with him about money. And so we're not interested. And so I started to go with the team, the actual client team that was calling on this energy company. I'm like, can you all help me here? And they wrote emails and, oh, this guy's a good guy and he's done all this good work. It all fell on deaf ears. I thought I had friends with firm and I did. And I had friends that really put their neck out and said, we'll help you here. We'll help you get it, find a good home within the firm now that you're sort of adrift. Ultimately, they not that they weren't able to, they found a home for me, but it was basically go be in the marketing area where you sort of write proposals, you're no more client facing, you're just kind of doing this internal work. The compensation was not even half of what I was accustomed to being paid. And so I was like, man, that's not an answer for me. That's not a solution. And I just felt so betrayed. I'm like, I'm going to leave. And so I left the firm and it was painful because it became a very uncomfortable last year with the company, with the firm. But my first few years, it was, man, they were great high level meetings with very smart people solving very complex problems for clients and a lot of fun. It was like a kid in a candy store and it became such a sour ending and such a sad kind of conclusion. I look back on it now and I think maybe a little more mature person, what would I have done differently with a little more experience? I think the answer is if I really wanted to be there, that I needed to recognize that putting, calling people on the carpet or having one difficult conversation after another was just not helping me have a long tenure with that firm. And if I really wanted to be there, I should have seen that and said, this is not the path. Would I have done it differently? I don't honestly know that I would have because what it's really led me to was maybe that's not a place for me to be, right? If that's the sort of mindset that just doesn't align with me, with my values, with who I am, with what I'm about. And so it maybe just wasn't a great fit for me long-term. Much as I wanted it to be, it maybe just wasn't a great fit long-term. That's a lot of detail about a specific instance, but there was that theme that happened in probably two other organizations I was in that I would work hard, sell something, and then something would get taken away. A territory would shift would happen. Oh, we're going to move this territory to somebody else. But it was complete greenfield. There was nothing going on in this territory. I inherited nothing. I built it up. Now it's built and you want to give it to someone else or you want to split it with me and somebody else. Why? Like I've earned the right to keep this. I just wouldn't tolerate that happening. And I didn't mind having these difficult conversations with people. When that's happening, you're really not in control of that situation. And if you go down that path of continuing to have a difficult conversation, it's not going to probably end well. You're not in a position of being able to control that outcome. And so it led to bad ending after bad ending. Well, Eric, if I could jump in, what I'm hearing you say, what I'm feeling right now in this moment, and I loved your example, not because it's painful. And I like pain. I love the example because it was very clear and I'm sure that it connects with a number of our members of our audience. And what I really am feeling and hearing right now is I think I'm hearing the voice of an entrepreneur, a fiercely loyal to the ideal, to the vision, to the standard. And in corporate America, it's been changed or it's not as clear as the contract might say when you get down to it. And I've discovered the same thing, the exact same thing, almost a mirror image story, as did the guest we were talking about earlier, Josh Goodman. He shared his story, very eerily similar. And if you look at these stories, the common theme is something that may not have been fair happened. The people that might be able to say that it's fair or not fair were not us. <laughs> it did not fit out to our benefit. And I feel that I'm talking to an entrepreneur right now. I feel like I'm talking to someone who was destined to gain all this experience, to be in this place in his world where now he can write the term, the rules on his own, of his own choosing, so to speak. How does that thought connect with you, entrepreneur? 
It does. Writing the rules. It absolutely does. And as I started to do my own work, introspection, looking in and asking myself those questions, and Mm -hmm. I look at my own work ethic and things, like you said, Matt, I want to control the outcome. I want to be able to control the effort, the input, and then what the outcome is, the outcome is, right? I can live with that. And I remember as I went to step out of my last corporate role, I remember saying, you know, I was making at the time a very healthy multi six figure income. And I thought, man, I would rather make 20% of that, but feel like I earned and made and kept every dollar and there was no fight, no question, no anything about it, then make what I'm making now, but have all this angst and uncomfortableness and feeling like, you know what I'm saying? That's what I was willing to go do is start over, start a new career, a new life, a new everything. Step out of that corporate W-2 job, salary plus bonus, salary plus commission, commission type structure into go make it happen every day. Go make it happen as an entrepreneur every day. And I'm excited to do it. It's been a very exciting and scary at times, a transition into the world of being an entrepreneur making it happen every day, but I absolutely love it. When you say exciting and scary in the entrepreneur world, I'm sure that a lot of us out here can resonate with that who are entrepreneurs. What do you mean by that? Exciting and scary. I like to refer to it as the corporate veil, right? So you have this corporate veil of safety or certainty is, hey, I know what my salary is. It's going to happen every two weeks. It's going to, this little miracle happens and my checking account gets a little deposit put in it from my paycheck. And if I've hit my numbers, I get paid a bonus on top of that. So it's very easy to kind of plan your budget. Everything is very, again, seems to be clear and safe and certain. The reality is it's not really because things can happen as they happen to me over and over where you go from one year, you're making all this money and the next year you're not because of a change in direction or a change in somebody, personnel, a philosophy, a bonus structure or a plan or someone doesn't want to pay you a commission, but you have this veil of safety and security. Whereas in the entrepreneur world, you don't even have the veil, right? You make it happen every day. There's no paycheck going to magically appear in your checking account unless you've gone out and earned a payday from a client and make it happen. So it's exciting. It's scary because of that, the removal of that veil of safety, right? That veil of it's all going to be this and it's always going to be this. You don't have that in the entrepreneur world. You really don't have it in the corporate world either, but you can be fooled into thinking you do. That's the secret that you think you have that safety and stability. And then when the economy from time to time makes shifts or your particular niche in the market shifts, that safety and stability ends up paying off. But I believe that unless you are very skilled technically and politically, in many cases, it's hard to get past middle management. It's challenging to get past middle management and get to that position of authority. And then once you get to the entrepreneur world, there's no guarantee at all. So you may have that corporate veil lifted at the same time if you have that tremendous level of skill and some luck that goes your way. But let's focus Mm. on that skill and the attitude and you have the talent, you make it happen. Then the entrepreneur world can be very fulfilling, much more than what I felt in, in the corporate veil, as we say. And I loved the people I worked with. I had teams that reported to me. I had peers that were great. I had some great bosses and leaders. Ultimately... I feel that my corporate experience was much like yours. It was sullied because of some out of alignment with expectations and reality. What was said is the way didn't end up actually being true when it came down to pay time. So I relate to what you're sharing. I'd love to wrap this part and go to kind of a future forward facing part for Eric Sardina and look at what's big and important 
and get you really excited right now in your career? Where I guess the question is, where are you going next? Where are you going next, Eric? I appreciate you asking that. So as I mentioned, so I coach people. Most of my clients seem to have been or have been men business executives that look a lot like me, right? So they're 40-ish plus years old. They've had some scars along the way. They're trying to make a decision. They're either feeling like they're accomplishing goals, but not feeling fulfilled or they have recently been laid off or they've gone through some other sort of traumatic life event, a death, a divorce or something that's making them question like, am I doing what I really was put on the earth to do? And so I work with them to sort through that, look within and determine are they aligned with their values, their purpose, their blessings, the things that that they've been gifted with, or are they not in alignment with that? And what does it take to get in alignment? So I coach people in that way. Part of when I did my own work and figuring this out, what I came to, what kept coming up for me was it's really a miracle that we're here at all, right? If you look at the odds of being on this earth, they are so small that if the lottery's odds were the same, no one would ever play. I saw a study, because if you think about it, your parents had to get together for you to be here. Their both sets of parents had to get together. And that goes back all the way to the beginning, beginning of time. If anyone breaks the chain along the way through famines and wars and all sorts of things or just shyness, can't get the nerve up to ask the girl out. If any of that chain breaks, you're not here, right? And yet you are here. So the odds of that happening, I read this in a book, are the same odds as if 2 million people rolled a trillion sided dice and it landed on the same number. Right. So the odds are you shouldn't be here. Right. But you are. You're a miracle. I'm a miracle. And so if I'm a miracle and if I believe that there's a creator and I believe I was created, so it wasn't just a random crashing together of atoms that I was actually created with intention. That creator had intention for me and blessed me with certain things and provided me with certain things. Even if you don't believe in a creator and you think it was just a random crashing together of atoms, man, what an incredible random crashing. You are here as a miracle and you're only going to be here for a short window of time. 70 ish years, I think, is the average life expectancy. 72, I think which means half of the group is not going to make it to 72 and half is going to go beyond that little bitty blink of time. What are you going to get done while you're here? What's really important to you? And I started to recognize that my best days were days when I was investing in and spending time with other humans, other people. The coaching aspect for me is massively rewarding. I love working with other people. I love helping them figure out challenges that they're dealing with and come to solutions. I've also realized that part of what I like to do, we talked about it right at the beginning of the show, is work out, exercise, be healthy. I'm about to be 55 years old and I like to run ultra marathons and trail races and long things and do hard things. And I realize that's a gift and a blessing that I'm able to do those things. Part of what I do is I am now part of a group that is the leadership team putting on what we call the summit, which is a men's rite of passage event. It's a three-day out in nature wilderness sort of experience where we do the leadership team leads the students through very challenging physical evolutions, things that make them uncomfortable. They may be slightly sleep deprived. They may be hungry. And we challenge them physically while pouring into them and teaching them about what it means to be a brother, a father, a community member, what it is to serve others and give back. And we're really trying to pour into and raise up masculine, strong men to lead their homes, lead their families, lead their communities. It's massively rewarding for me because I feel like this is truly now tapping into what God has put me on this earth to do. I take huge reward from that, huge internal comfort and just joy and excitement when we plan for and then execute on one of these excursions, one of these one of these summit events. We did two in 2022 and we're planning to do somewhere between six and eight or 10, maybe even at the outside in 2023. We have one coming up here in two weeks down in the central part of Texas. The sponsor organization is Turning Point USA. If you've heard of Turning Point USA, they're the it's their event. We host, we put it on for them. So we're part of the leadership team that puts it on for Turning Point. And again, it's called the Summit. That and the coaching is just 
it lights me up. And then I do have some consulting clients that I do some consulting work with in the sales and marketing area. It's so fun for me to be able to choose a client based on the things that are important to me. So I look right at the leadership team. I look at the leaders, the owners, the founders, and I go, are these people that I want to be around, that I want to help, that I want to work with? Do they share values with me? Do they share character? I'm working with a few groups now. I've come in contact with a gentleman named Justin Simmons, who's a fantastic guy, great entrepreneur, has a few businesses he owns. We're having fun kind of working with those and trying to figure out, plan through, growth strategies and things. To me, it just lights me up. It's just great stuff working with great people. For me, it's all about humans, right? It's all about pouring into people that you feel good about. And then the money will work itself out on the back end, right? And I trust that it will. And it has. I'm maybe dangerously curious about this. And I say dangerously because when you say these things about a summit experience, pushing yourself, pouring into each other, challenging, maybe sleep deprived, that makes me really interested. And... I don't know if I know what I'm getting into because this is an ultra marathoner I'm talking to right now and a different level of pain and overcoming than I do physically because I've not run 100 miles or more or 200 or whatever it is you've done. I'm a little bit anxious. I'd love to put some put something in the show notes if our guests or our listeners can find out more about your summit experiences. Where are some other places that we might be able to learn about you, Eric, and find out more about what you're doing? Give us the goods, please. Absolutely. So you can find out about the summit at website is tpfaith.com forward slash men's. So turning TP stands for turning point, but it's TP, TP, and then faith.com forward slash men's is uh, where you can find out information about the summit. There's a bit of mystery around it because part of it is we don't like to disclose too much on the front end. The brain can be a wild and wacky place to be. And when we let people stay in their own brain without knowing what's coming next, it tends to exact a bit of a pain threshold and an anxiety threshold, which is part of what we're looking for. So there's not a lot of information out there, but there is, and there's a sizzle reel and some other things. You can get a little glimpse of some stuff going on. And there's an application process because we want to know when people are signing up, what are they looking to get out of it, right? What are their, What's their intention? So there's an application and I would highly encourage, it's for men ages 18 to 30. And I would tell you that we've had some, if you're 30 is actually older than 30, if you're willing to act like you're 30 in terms of being willing to get out in nature and do hard things, we're willing to have you. So it's a general guideline around 18 to 30, but if you're older than 30 and you're interested, I would say go ahead and apply because we've had we've made exceptions to that. Generally, we don't make exceptions on the under 18 part because it's that level of being an adult. We need people to be adults. Now we have, I would say mostly because we have actually made exceptions. We had a couple of under 18s go through with their dad. So their dad was on it as well. It made it super powerful. Really a really cool experience for all of them. We kept them separated actually through most of the three days. That's a big mind shift, I'm sure, for them. <laughs> and then we brought them together at the end. So toward the end, when we started to reach the culmination, we brought them back together and we let them experience that together, which was also super powerful. So it's really cool to see. So I would say if you have a someone in mind that's under 18, if the dad's also willing to go, that would be an opportunity and certainly something to explore. So that's the summit. And if you want to connect with me, the best place is my website, which is my name, ericsardina.com. So it's E-R-I-C-S-A-R-D-I-N-A.com, ericsardina.com. Or Instagram is the other place. I'm also on LinkedIn. So I'm posting more on LinkedIn these days. And it's Eric Sardina. And my Instagram is eric underscore sardina, 26.2. There's a little homage to the marathon there with 26.2 at the end. So eric underscore sardina, 26.2. That's of the social media platforms. That's where I, I seem to post the most things. That's the best way to kind of see what's going on with me. Awesome. And for our listeners out there, uh, you can go to Eternal Optimist Podcast on Instagram. And I am going to start following this account. You can find Eric's account there. Also, you said LinkedIn. So check him out on LinkedIn. 
And uh, we'll have the website in the show notes for the Summit Experience, which sounds awesome, in Texas coming up in a couple of weeks. There's going to be several more this year. Excited to share that. All over the country. Yeah, super excited. And I should have said the podcast, right? Return to Authenticity, right? On all the podcast platforms, Return to Authenticity. Matt has been a guest on the show, hasn't gone live yet as of this recording, but it will be shortly out on the platform. So excited for everyone to get to hear Matt's story. Yeah, and I enjoyed being on your podcast, Eric. It was kind of a, a longer dive into life and your experiences, and I found it fascinating. So thank you for that opportunity. I encourage everyone to check that out. As Eric said, the Return to Authenticity podcast. Eric, we have made it to the lightning round. So ding, 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 get ready, get ready. Right, okay, ready. so lightning round, here it is. I've got three questions for you. And the first question, it's real simple, maybe. And that question is, when you hear the thought, the phrase, eternal optimism, what does eternal optimism mean to you? Eternal optimism means you can always find the positive, that you eternally find the positive in a situation. I think we talked while we were recording on air earlier, There's any number of ways to find a negative and I think equal number of ways to find a positive in situation. An eternal optimist is always looking to find the positive. Thank you. Couldn't agree more, my friend. Good. All right. Next question. If you think back to your favorite song or a favorite show, a favorite song or a favorite show, mm -hmm. what might be something that gets you inspired or feeling ready to take on the world? Favorite song and or a favorite show? Wow, that's a great one. And I would say if I had to pick a band that was my favorite band, it was U2. No question, but U2's been my favorite nice. band growing up. And I would say now that there's just any number of their songs that I absolutely love. I would say that a song that from a, you don't generally hear that when I work out, I do some boot camp style workout things and there's usually music playing almost always. You don't get to hear U2 in those type of classes. So I don't hear a lot of U2 when I'm working out. One song that I do hear that I always enjoy is Thunderstruck Boom. by ACDC. Yes. Yeah. That's my answer to this question. That's my walk-in song every morning. I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> it's such a great song. That song tends to be like you do a push-up every time they either say thunder, you do a push-up, and if they say thunderstruck, then you do a full burpee. So you go all the way to your feet and then back down. And so it can be a punishing song, but man, it is a powerful song. It definitely gets the blood flowing. So I love that song. Awesome. You just got me fired up. I'm going to go do burpees and push-ups the instant we finish in this sweater that I'm wearing that you commented on. Crank that music up and do it. Push up on the thunder and then full burpee if they say thunderstruck. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Last question might be this. If there's a favorite movie, something that inspires you, a great movie for you, what might your favorite movie be that inspires you? Man, so many good movies over the years. I would say, and it's there's so many. I could pick so many to come pop to mind right now. But the one that I literally, when I hear the bell, I get chills for the theme song when you hear the bell. And that would have to be Rocky. So when they play, when he starts training and they hear that, dong, they give that bell. And then all that, when that rolls in, man, the hair stands up on the back of my neck. And I love it. So that movie is so inspiring. So awesome. Joe Slugger, right? Rocky, down in the dumps, blue collar guy, eating his raw eggs, living in the hood and rises himself, brings himself up, training in the streets, all the training stuff. Love the training. Love the fight. Yeah. What, a, what an inspiring movie. Love it. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Well, Eric. Our one, two, three. <laughs> I started to lose it maybe at around three, but definitely one, two, awesome, three, Clubber Lang, the one with, with Drago, the Russian. So that was probably four. 
So all of those I thought were great. And then, then yeah. it got weird. I don't know what happened yeah, after that, well, but yeah, love the script. Yeah. Rock is awesome. Then it got Tommy Morrison and it got, yeah, it got weird. Yeah, got weird. Let's wrap thing up, Eric. It's been a pleasure. I just genuinely enjoyed having you on here. I felt the pain during the depth of your story. And then I felt the comeback here with working on yourself and gratitude and especially with Thunderstruck at the end. It's just, it's been a real pleasure. So thank you for joining us today, Mr. Eric Sardina. Last words to you, my friend, and we'll wrap. Man, thank you so much, Matt. I appreciate it, brother. And I would say this, in the Eternal Optimist theme, that scarred story that I shared, that made that was needed in me to make me who I am today, right? So I, I don't regret that story happening. I don't regret any of the, the things that could be perceived as a negative. I find the good in them. I think it's been said, our scars bring us to the stars, right? So the idea that the things that we've gone through to this point in life, every bit of it was needed to make us who we are right here, right now. So I'm thankful for all those things, right? I look back on those, I have great relationships from that firm. Like you mentioned your situation, some of your past teams, great memories, right? There were some tough times, but I take all of them as just necessary to make me who I am today and roll forward. So it's all good. I'm just so thankful to you, brother, to have me on the show, share my story. And if it helps somebody out there see a little bit of optimism in their day, all the better. And again, to just enjoy the conversation and look forward to more. Thanks for listening to the Eternal Optimist podcast. You can check the show notes for information about today's episode. And please share the show with that friend who is wanting to think bigger. We'll see you next time.